welcome to Mecca Talks, your access all areas pass to the beauty, business and lifestyle experts we call our community. I'm Kate Blythe, Chief Marketing Officer here at Mecca and your host. In today's episode, I'm chatting to Tatiana Bilbao, trailblazing Mexican architect and our first recipient of the Mecca NGV Women in Design Commission. Hi everyone, it's just me today for an interview with the incredible Tatiana Bilbao, who's flown in from Mexico City to be with us in Melbourne and to reveal her inaugural work as part of the Mecca NGV Women in Design Commission. And really what is amazing about Tatiana is that she is really, really leading the charge as a female architect who is doing things her way with absolute heart and soul in everything that she does. Elevating and empowering women has long been a part of Mecca's continuing mission to achieve gender equality across all arenas. And of course, Tatiana is one of the world's leading female architects. She runs an incredible female-run practice. She is really changing the game when it comes to how you be how women or how architects are thinking about architecture and how they're thinking about the people around the buildings that they create. It's pretty phenomenal. Some of the stories and some of the projects that her and her team have been working on, including a monastery, including botanical gardens, and really her commission for the NGV Women in Design is going to be a really, really thoughtful piece of work, which goes back to the roots of domestic um, laundry and how it's a place for communities to come together. And I'm so intrigued to talk to her about the work, but also about her journey. You know, she has this amazing passion and this amazing warmth about her. And really what is so wonderful is that she thinks about architecture and she thinks about her mission totally differently to so many other people out there. Her story and her work is incredible, but I'd rather you hear it from her. Well, welcome Tatiana. Welcome to Melbourne and welcome to Australia, all the way from Mexico. We are thrilled to have you here today. Um, First of all, how are you feeling? Very good. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here with you. It's been um, an amazing journey that we've been on with you since we announced our partnership and with the NGV as well. And tell me a little bit about how that all kind of came about and how um, how you're you know now we're opening up the commission, which is going to be incredible. And we've got the press preview tomorrow. Tell me about this like last year of working on the piece. For us, it has been a great opportunity to um, go deeper into topics that we have been researching through probably all our existence, really able to to think how to uh, explore them more, but essentially how to exhibit it and show them and be able to, by them, with them, create a conversation with others. And in terms of the big showcase, if somebody can't get to the NGV, what could they expect? Can you visualize it a little bit for us? Tell us about the piece. The idea is to create a conversation around the issue of care. And we specifically installed a replica of a washing basin, public washing Mm -hmm. basin that exists in many uh, small towns around Mexico. In different parts of the world, these structures exist because before the washing was done socially Mm. and in public spaces. 
So in many places, these things exist, although people don't realize uh, yeah. that these happen. It's often uh, a piece in, in cities that is forgotten. And if it's not swiped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, we created a replica here um, in order to kind of create a conversation around one of the essential things that provide care for our bodies, which is the clothes. No, mm -hmm. The clothes is the first layer of protection for mm -hmm. our uh, bodies that cannot be exposed to the environment because we don't survive. Mm -hmm. So clothes are the first layer of protection. But not only that, uh, we really think that clothes embed many different types of care that are not recognized in society. So clothes are done and produced in very exploitative ways. Mm -hmm. So that is a recognized labor. But it's a labor that is uh, that ex exhibits uh, a lot of inequalities. No, yeah. not only people who really make those clothes uh, work in very precarious conditions, but the whole industry kind of it's exploiting uh, many many things. Not the environment, mm. but also labor in in many ways. And I think that. Uh, not only that, it's not only how the clothes are done, but also focusing on how the clothes are cared. Mm -hmm. Essentially, the, the caring of the clothes is a labor that it's unrecognized as labor, is tucked into our domestic environments. And if it's recognized, you know, if, mm -hmm. if you really pay someone to wash your clothes, uh, those are very precarious jobs. So... Yeah. We really wanted to highlight the fact that this is something that has defined the domestic environment, mm -hmm. defining it in, in a very discriminative way. Because first of all, our domestic environment is not conceived as a space of work, it's conceived as a space of rest. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of work and specifically a very essential form of work that happens in the houses, no? Yeah. And uh, the houses are pretending to uh, erase that from society, but obviously they're talking them in. They hide a, a very important form of yeah. discrimination. And it's so true. You, It's like a hidden room, isn't it? The sort of laundry area. And actually, when I, when we first um, sort of launched the commission on International Women's Day, which was an incredible moment because we beamed you in all the way from Mexico. And you talked about this idea that really you were putting the idea of this domestic chore back in the heart, back in the center, back in the center of the home, back in the center of the NGV and really celebrating it for what it is. And it's a, a place to bring communities and women together and people all over the world together as something that was once, uh, you know, uh, an activity you did as a group. How does it feel to see that commission come to life in this way? It must be a pretty amazing moment. I think that is a very exciting moment because I don't think that anything what, that we do uh, stands for itself. No, it needs that uh, participation of the viewer, mm -hmm. of the reception uh, of of the people who is intended for. And uh, therefore, it's a very exciting moment because this is almost uh, going to happen. <laughs> no? Yeah, absolutely. And and how many, so let's take it back, back a step. So of your practice, and you have this in amazing practice in Mexico. How, first of all, how many um, people are in your practice and how many people worked on this commission as well? We are a team of 60 people and around 10 people have worked in this commission in, in, in different forms. But I think that more interestingly is 
it it zooms the work of um, the whole office and mm -hmm. the history of it. So it's speaking about a core thing because we we really think that architecture provides a very basic form of care. Mm -hmm. And since the beginning of the practice, we have been really understanding what we do in a very uh, deep way with a lot of rep responsibility embedded mm -hmm. in it because of that, of that. No, it provides a basic form of care. We human beings cannot exist yeah. um, in the in the wilderness. We can we need protection from the environment. Mm -hmm. And we have proven that it's not only necessary a strict protection no, of a cave, for example. No, when we we need much more as a platform for inspiration that inspires our lives. No, yeah. and I'm not saying inspiration in the type of oh, I'm inspired in this place. <laughs> no, inspiration means kind of the enhancement of a need, you know, mm -hmm. to exist. Meaning protection, meaning uh, light, meaning ventilation, mm -hmm. air, nutrition, all these things that architecture does. Yeah. You know? And therefore, I think that this work embeds all of it. So it is maybe directly the 10 people working. Yeah. But I think it, it really engloves the, the work that we all do there. And your practice, um, you obviously tell me a bit about how you started it and also some of the work that you have done and, and the um, architects in your firm have worked on over the years, because I think it's such an interesting juxtaposition, which you're building these incredible houses and you're building these incredible homes and really thinking about that protection element. But you're also working on these incredible projects and commissions like this, which are really culturally, you know, important as well. And so I'd love to know about your history and how you started, but also how you really get that balance of the kind of practical elements of the job with these real creative endeavors as well. Let's say I started working as an architect, very insecure of, of my skills. I must say that when I started uh, that I went out of school, I thought that I had learned nothing. <laughs> I saw in like my my fellow um, students, really, or the people who I studied with, confident on the skills that they learned, and they were really out there producing architecture as very easily, no. And I. I thought I didn't learn anything and I that I didn't have the skills. Like the years passed and I thought I needed to learn more and I needed to get together with other architects and with other people to in order to be able to learn. And then I understood that it, much more than an insecurity was an in, uncomfortability because yeah. I I really thought then but I also know now that I didn't have the skills and I don't have the skills to I don't think anybody has to and much more than the skills, the right mm -hmm. to build anything for in, for anybody else to live in, you know, mm -hmm. because I think everybody has a right to create their own existence yeah. in this planet and their own way of inhabiting. And therefore, I have always found myself searching what is that. So I found that the office with these questions mm -hmm. always, no, and with these insecurities that have get based on all the research that we have done. I started 18 years ago. It's amazing. Yeah. Crazy. And, um, <laughs> and what are some of the most amazing projects you have done and your team have done since then? 
we, I think that one project that encompasses a lot of the of the ethos and the and the things that we have done and but also the process and the history is the botanical garden in Culiacán because mm. that has a project that we have been working for 16 years now or yeah. 17 almost <laughs> so um, it is also kind of it has formed the values of the office but also mm. has a already had the values that I resonated with. Yeah. Being a public space of uh, collective and social encounters um, around uh, beautiful nature, uh, many, many things. No, it also has an uh, embedded uh, an incredible art collection that also uh, is aim is to create conversations around art. Amazing. So it's really a, a project that has been a, a great impact to the work we do, but also has seen our development mm -hmm. because we've been working for it for 17 years. I think that also that is kind of an extreme of the range of projects that we have been developing. I always say that we have been working in projects that range uh, in many ways from uh, the conception of life, like the botanical mm -hmm. garden, to the end of it. And we have done a funeral house. Oh, so wow. It's like really, you know, we have been working in a, a lot of different yeah. aspects of um, accompanying and, and giving platforms to different forms of uh, and moments of life yeah. uh, of a human. And um, right now, I think that the a project that is a life-changing project and a project of a lifetime, it's a monastery. We're oh, working wow. in a monastery Incredible. in Germany, which uh, for me has been really a project that has probably allowed me to, you know, kind of think of many aspects that mm -hmm. I had always been questioning and thinking of, of architecture in one project, but also have taught me that I have to learn so many things, so yeah. many precepts in order to be able to do more significant work. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, A, the, the different types of projects that you've worked on are just so varied and so creative as well. But also the energy that you have and when you talk about it is lovely. It's so wonderful to see your eyes light up because mm -hmm. they are, must be incredibly inspirational things to work on with some really incredible people. And what a diverse bunch from funeral homes to monasteries to a project with the NGV to the botanical gardens. I mean, I incredible. You're leading the charge though. And as a female architect going out there and challenging the status of you know architecture practices around the world you know hats off to you but you're not just doing it the easy way <laughs> <laughs> you're definitely taking the um you know this very different view which is super inspirational um so really very very exciting to hear that and I think one of the wonderful things um is that your practice is known for creating collages to communicate the ideas behind your work and it's a little bit like being a fashion designer and I always think of Carl Lagerfeld and he does his amazing creations but he's also then the most beautiful artist and can do these incredible sketches or was and so is that a really important part for you to actually not just conceptualize and and create a building but actually to go deeper onto the kind of creative element of a project like that I really needed a form of communication that would allow me to express what I thought of architecture. Life is a process, no? And inhabiting mm -hmm. this world, it is a process. And it's a, pro and it's a process that changes and evolves through 
uh, through time very much, mm-hmm. you know. But architecture is very static. It freezes a moment and a time, mm-hmm. you know, and it frames it and it poses uh, an impossibility for that process of life to exist. Mm-hmm. But there's no other thing. I mean, it's embedded with the definition of both, you know, uh, and it, it is a contradiction. So with that fact of allowing ourselves to surrender to the fact that architecture is something that is static and frozen and that's it, mm-hmm. you know, and I I couldn't just <laughs> yeah. that, uh, let that to, uh, to happen. So I've been trying to understand how to create an architecture that allows that process of life to exist. Mm-hmm. And so it's very different conception on, on how and what architecture is. And I needed a different form of representation yeah. because the traditional form of representation represents that architecture that yes. I am aiming to, to open and to challenge and to question. So uh, since the beginning, I really started thinking and searching different ways of representing every project. But then I understood that it was also different ways of approaching every project. Mm -hmm. So I started also searching for different tools to create the conversations that would allow us to create projects. Through this questioning, I have found that collage is a good starting point. I'm not sure if that's the ultimate tool, and Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if, if that is the perfect one, but I think that has allow me to enable more conversations that certainly than before uh, yeah. I was able to do with regular drawing. So, and it yeah. conveys that emotion as well, which I think is something that a sketch would not would not do in the same way. And that is something that quite clearly comes through in your work. It not only an emotion, I think it it allows a possibility for others to engage in the conversation, no? Mm-hmm. When you do a, a or an architectural plan or an architectural section or a, or a render mm-hmm. or these things, it's very difficult that you create a possibility for the other to engage because it's all said, you know, it's mm. all very clear, very objectively set up. Therefore, for me, it stops a conversation. No, a conversation mm-hmm. needs um, spaces for interpretation, for controversy, for yes. conflict, uh, and for really allowing yourself to be in that drawing, you mm-hmm. know, or in that image or whatever. And a collage does, for sure. I mean, I've tested it and it really definitely does. <laughs> and you um, host textile workshops as well. Tell us a little bit about that, because I think that's so fascinating about bringing different people and different voices into your work. It's brilliant. And I know you hosted one today. That's exactly how we work in every sense, in every level. As I said, I think that architecture should be a platform for everyone to create their own existence and therefore it needs several conversations to happen, to be done, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, not only conversations, people participating on that. Yes. So uh, definitely the commission that we did here had to be the same and not different. And so we thought, how can we create a a real conversation around it, but not only that, something that really is embedding the work of many people. And so we created these workshops, uh, four of them, that um, through conversations we enable the production of these quilts that mm-hmm. are exhibited there. So in a way, it is also a uh, collective exhibition because it's yes. uh, showing the work of 
these uh, people that are engaged in these four workshops. That's amazing. And how brilliant to get everybody involved as well, because it brings the whole project alive, right? Well, that's how I think society should be built, (laughs) with the voices of many people, if not of everyone, hopefully Mm -hmm. more than what has been done now. And where do you get your inspiration from? Like, you know, if you were to take on a project like the monastery or to take on, where do you start? Do you have to go there and sort of spend days just absorbing the kind of the landscape? Or how do you how do you start with something that big? Not the landscape, the people. We've been working six years and we just started the design. Okay. So it is getting engaged with the people, with the stories that happen around. I think for me is much less important. Not, not less important. Let's say it's peripheral and that's something that it's a given and mm-hmm. it's much easier to, to grasp, which is the physical environment where it's built, no? It's, it's a very almost scientific operation mm-hmm. to get now where the sun comes from, what is the yes. soil, blah, blah, blah. It's very, it's their facts. Yeah. But what I think it really needs to respond is to those stories that are behind. So engaging in the conversations uh, with the people, you also get the history, you also get the definition of that landscape because that landscape is not only defined by physical yeah. qualities and aspects. Amazing. No? Amazing that it's taken six years to feed your imagination to get you to the point where you start the design. Yeah. You know, you've got to be really invested in that project to to spend six years doing that before you get started and not just racing into it and not just sort of getting a team to kick off because you want to pick up more projects. How have you led your team on that journey? Have you had to sort of train them or slow them down or teach them that way of really immersing themselves? We do this very much. Uh, Here we have had the privilege also to have the time, you Mm. know, with the monks. Not every project has this possibility, Mm. but we try every with every project to engage the same way, no, Mm -hmm. with more or less time. Sometimes uh, there's not this luxury of time. In this case, we had it for many many different circumstances. But uh, and I remember like at the beginning, the the monks were kind of very desperate. And I said, if we're going to make a monastery that you aim it for to last for eternity yeah. and to hold eternity, <laughs> we need an eternity to make it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So be patient. Be, be patient. <laughs> <laughs> this is something that uh, it's only giving us the possibility of really immersing ourselves much more in this. But also, as I said before, it's a project that has um, needs us to unlearn what we learn because monks don't see space as we see it. Mm-hmm. And they don't need a space with the definitions that we give to space. Mm-hmm. You know, Every move, every line means something. Yes. And we learn that every line and every move doesn't mean anything. It just, uh, it, it's, you know, drawn because we like it or because it it gives the correct proportions. These people really see spaces in a very symbolic way. Mm -hmm. And we have been trained to understand space in a very rational way. So we have to unlearn uh, how we how we conceive architecture to understand that it has a completely different meaning. Therefore, for them, mm-hmm. therefore, we need to conceive it differently. So it's been a process of unlearning and learning new ways of thinking of architecture. Amazing. And this has really impacted everything that we do. So you're six years in. 
And how long will it take for you to complete the project? My whole lifetime. Your whole life. <laughs> so when you say it's a lifetime project, it is actually it is your actually lifetime project. Lifetime project. <laughs> yeah. Well, how wonderful. Yeah, because it's going to be built in phases. We're planning a very, very big monastery and we will have to build it over time. Amazing. And you're, as I said earlier, you're leading the charge as a female architect in a world which has been so long dominated by male architects. How important is that for you? And how do you sort of lead other female architects along with you on that journey? That's a difficult topic because I never think of myself as a leader. <laughs> I think <laughs> myself as doing the things that I think are correct <laughs> and uh, that I need to do. And the other part of the hard topic is that I wish I had not to speak about it. And I mm. wish there were no yeah. differences uh, in society from men to w uh, women. But uh, of course, through the years, I have acknowledged that there is an importance of talking about, hopefully, so the next future generations yeah. don't need to talk about it. Hopefully, we yeah. can erase for, for once so and true. ever yeah. these differences. But um, in the way, I also have understood that it is a difficulty is speaking because I'm speaking from a position mm. of high privilege. Yeah. Only uh, very privileged people in society have equal opportunities. And I have had not only equal opportunities, I think I have I have had even more opportunities because I'm an I'm a woman mm. because I'm in a place uh, in society where people are embracing uh, equality and they, therefore they need women so I, I'm i there Yeah. but understanding that has um, really allowed me to understand that I have a very big responsibility sure. you know, to open doors not only leading with example mm -hmm. with real facts for women who don't have opportunities no? Yeah. and I think that why is it not only by example because the, the people who only need the example to succeed have the privilege uh, of being uh, educated, being mm -hmm. already have the doors open, yeah. you know? Uh, so I think that it's our responsibility to work for those who don't have any doors open. Yeah. And how to open doors for people who really, really need those opportunities it's I think the task of us we that we have the privilege of speaking about this yeah and it's you know your story is so empowering and so inspirational and you know as you say you you don't think of yourself as a leader but you absolutely are because you're leading the charge and you're really changing the way things are done in this space which is incredible so congratulations because it's huge and the monastery is one of the biggest things I've ever heard about but in terms of your inspirations obviously lots of people will be listening to this thinking wow my goodness you know this she's really gone and done it and she's changing the game who inspired you along the years who has inspired you from an architect architectural point of view or maybe it's an artistic point of view to really move the needle in this way I think the 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 thing that the things that most inspire me is stories that build people mm -hmm. so people in general I cannot say one specific thing I think I get inspiration from every single human being I'm in contact mm -hmm. with and even those who I'm not in contact but I hear and listen and try to grasp through the stories I cannot say one specific thing I mean I I find inspiration in every person every human being in yeah. the world 
every building you go into, do you think, I would have done this differently? <laughs> um, no, I don't torture myself with that. <laughs> I, I, I don't torture myself with that. But I, but I try to be very, in my mind, uh, when I'm working much more than when I'm living and existing, when I'm working, very critical of those spaces in order to think how I felt unwelcome or mm. unable to exist. And how can I do something that does that to others, you know? Yeah. Does the contrary to others, of course. <laughs> I love that. I think it's one of the most amazing things to walk into a home, which is welcoming and full of love and feels really good. And you really sense it when it's not that way. And I Absolutely. think that feeling is something that, you know, I definitely pick up on and definitely try and create. So I, I totally hear you on that. It's the, you want everyone to feel welcome and everyone to be able to come in. Which is, I think, central to the discussion because that's what society has looked through years, no? And I think that in in the 20th century, basically, we thought that that was something you could replicate, no? Yes. You could, uh, there's a feeling of homeliness, no? And you say, okay, this is it, and I can then replicate it. No, it's very personal. Mm -hmm. So it's not repli replicable and it's not standardizable, you yeah. know? It's not able to be something that is equal for everybody because for what it means to you it doesn't mean to me no absolutely it's not the same so how can we make spaces that everybody can create their own possibility of feeling it yeah uh, inspiring is is a challenge but it's something we have to search for absolutely so tatiana you work a lot with social housing and tell us a little bit about that because obviously this is an area which is not equal and it's not something that is you know full of opportunity for people but how do you make it totally different I mean, starting from the conception of it, if we already have to think of social housing, is that because it means that we have exactly not that. Uh, mm -hmm. We have created a society where a house is commodified, mm -hmm. is something that is marketable, but that leaves out the majority. So then, therefore, we have to respond with society with social housing, right? Yeah. So I think this is a wrong concept. House should not be uh, an object of commodification and should not be an object. Mm -hmm. no? House is a space where uh, the most important thing happens, which is our uh, the possibility of our own existence. Without it, we cannot exist. Mm -hmm. So for me, that is has been the conception. No? And with the commodification and the socialization came the standardization of how we live. And um, this is very problematic because the majority of us live differently, not the majority. Every yeah. one of us lives completely different from the other. We do have the same necessities, no? We do all have to sleep. Our bodies have the same physical necessities, but that is not the reason why we should standardize anything because we do all need to sleep, but we don't, none of us sleep the same. I mean, we even though we are raised in the same place, we can see it with siblings, right? Yeah. We don't conceive the way we sleep in the same way. I sleep completely different than my sister, and we grew up sleeping together, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or with my husband. I completely don't understand why do I have to share a bed with him, literally. I would really, really be 
very happy if I would sleep in a very small room, very dark, by myself. Yeah. Where my husband, for example, sees it completely opposite. He would sleep with his seven, uh, seven members of the family, five children and I, together, you know? <laughs> It's like, where can we have this? And I would... I hate this, you know, really. So even though we grew up in the same cultural environment, we don't conceive fact the same, but we have to do it as society uh, uh, strictly says. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is very difficult and this has been turned into rules and codes in, in how to create houses. And this leaves out the majority of the people, no? Houses are conceived yeah. To be uh, set for a very specific form of social arrangement, which is uh, a, a male, a female, and two children, right? Mm -hmm. And um, the houses respond to that as if that was the only way of um, societal relationships. So for me, it has been a learning process. In the beginning, I understood that I had to work the most basic units. So I said, everybody has a right to have one. Then I endeavor myself working in social housing. Now I understand that it's a more, much more complex system because of what I said at the beginning. And then we're working on those, uh, on those areas. Okay, so you have this amazing kind of mind that is thinking all the time about all of these things. How and where do you switch off? Is it you have to go away to a beach in the middle of an island somewhere and read a book? Or is it that you're somebody that hikes up a mountain? What is it that helps you sort of turn your brain off occasionally and have that rest? I do it very easily. <laughs> I just close my eyes and sleep and then switch off very easily. I'm, I'm, I'm literally like that. I put my head in a, in a pillow and that's it. I think I need to sleep. That's, yeah, that's my that switch gives, off. That gives you the switch Otherwise off. Otherwise, I'm not switching off. <laughs> so I'm on all the time. Forever thinking and your brain is forever yeah, my concepting brain is forever, the next yeah. big project. Yeah. And not, not only that, I'm always thinking about, not only thinking, no, I'm interacting mm. through the whole day with everything in my surrounding and very aware of alert with my family with my friends with myself yes I'm, even when I'm by myself but when I sleep I sleep you know it's yeah like, and I can sleep for very long hours <laughs> <laughs> you're so lucky yes but isn't that amazing so we're talking about incredible houses incredible buildings and really what does beauty mean to you when you relate the two I think beauty is um, a word first of all that um, has been One of those words that encompass very complex definitions that have been uh, generalized in a very difficult way. First of all, I think that beauty can only be defined by each of us. And it yeah. means very different things for mm -hmm. each of us. And it shouldn't be general and we shouldn't try to share Yeah, that because it's something that is um, so personal. It's yeah. very personal definition. What I think it should be is uh, the source of inspiration. Mm -hmm. What is the source of inspiration? And as I said, also inspiration is a word that has been used not in its extent. And I wish it could be used in its extent. No? Yes. So inspi inspiring, as I said, is enhancing the possibility of our existence. Yeah. 
so what is that for different people means different things no mm -hmm. and yeah. um and i think that that is what i think how would you relate beauty to architecture what would you say is beautiful in that world I would say that anything that inspires a life uh, of anyone is beautiful. And so, therefore, I think we should find what are those sources of inspiration. As I said, not not in the aspirational way that, that society puts the word inspiration, much more in the, in the way it, it is a platform for us to exist. Well, congratulations again on Thank this you. amazing commission. We are so, so delighted that you are our very first recipient of the um, Mecca NGV Women in Design Commission. And we are so delighted to have you here all the way from Mexico to Melbourne today. So thank you and good luck with the reveal and good luck with everything that's coming this week and with the monastery and all of the incredible projects that you and your practice will be working on. It's me who thank you for replicating my voice. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mecca Talks. If you liked what you heard, follow us on your favourite podcast app and you'll be notified as soon as our next episode becomes available. Don't forget to rate, review and share this episode with your friends. And I'm on the roll.